0: Hi Immigrantly family, how is everyone doing? This is Sadia Khan, your host joined with not one but two guests today. Both are fellow podcasters, so you know it will be a lively conversation. For those tuning into Immigrantly for the first time, welcome. This is a weekly podcast where I sit down with guests who have some connection to immigrant identity and talk about the fascinating things they are doing all in the name of storytelling and subverting narratives. Now, we are found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other streaming platforms. We also have a Patreon. And if you're looking for even more ways to engage with us, search at ImmigrantlyPod on Instagram, at Immigrantly underscore pod on Twitter, and we are even on TikTok at Immigrantly So today's episode is all about marriage, and I'm excited to share some valuable insights with you as someone who's been married for almost two decades. Wow. I can tell you that contrary to what romantic comedies would have us believe, marriage is fucking hard work. Whether you marry for love or any other reason, it requires patience, commitment, learning, adapting, compromise, and so much more. And even though my husband and I are from the same country and share similar backgrounds, we encountered many differences when we started dating. These differences including how we spent our money, what we prioritized, and how we communicated with each other. To be honest, it took us some time to understand each other's perspective And we continue working on our relationship every single day. Now, let's add different racial identities and backgrounds into the mix. This adds a new layer of complexity to how relationships evolve and the unique challenges that interracial couples face. We'll delve deeper into these topics and more in today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Lionel Nicola and Ilana Weitz, co-producers of the podcast Culture Jumpers, a show about navigating cross-cultures and the funny, epic, unforeseen things that can happen when you take the jump. Lionel and Ilana met in college, but came from different families and cultures. Lionel is half Chinese and half Filipino, born in Hong Kong. Lionel immigrated to California to a largely Asian suburb of LA at age three. Ilana grew up on the opposite coast in Philly, where she attended a Jewish elementary school before switching to public middle and high school. Lionel's family, meanwhile, is Catholic. These are serious contrasts, but Lionel and Ilana have found ways to understand and actively blend their identities and lived experiences in their time as a couple. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back and join me for this insightful discussion about the realities of marriage and interracial relationships.
1: How are you guys doing? Great. Thank you. We're so excited to be here.
2: Yeah, we're good. Thanks for having us.
0: Lionel, when you and I first spoke, I got so excited because I think I said this to you as well. I've done Immigrantly for almost four years, and this is the first time I am interviewing a couple. I don't think I've ever interviewed a couple, so I'm really excited about that. But before we dive into all the interesting questions, I want to start with both of you sharing about yourself. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? What is your family like? So we'll start with Ilana.
1: So I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, raised in a Jewish family. We grew up not quite Orthodox, but still pretty observant. It was called conservative Judaism and i went to a jewish elementary school which was sort of a combination of you know regular traditional american school but also we had like hebrew language instruction and jewish history and all that kind of stuff and then for middle school i moved into public school and then sort of as i became a teenager i think it kind of started with my brother and i i have one older brother we started becoming less religious and then our parents kind of followed suit and sort of drifted away from the upbringing a little bit so that's Kind of my early background.
0: So, what was that transition like from Jewish school to a regular middle school, high school?
1: I mean, I feel like for a lot of it, it wasn't like a huge transition, especially the area of Philadelphia that I grew up in um, has kind of a big Jewish population anyway. So, even in my middle school, there was still a lot of other Jewish students. So, other than, you know, not having like daily prayer and Jewish specific lessons, it wasn't that big of a difference. It was definitely a lot more diverse than what I was used to. My Jewish school was pretty much exclusively like white European Jews. So, coming from that to a school where, you know, we had a huge uh, black population, uh, South Asian population, there were people from all different religions. So, I think it was my first real experience with experiencing a lot of different people from different backgrounds.
0: And Ilana, after that, you went to UPenn for undergrad, right? Yes. So we'll come to that because that's where both of you meet. But let's go to Lionel. Lionel, you grew up on the West Coast. Yeah. In LA, right? One of the suburbs of LA?
2: Yeah, suburbs of LA. So there's sort of two neighboring counties that I spent time in uh, growing up. So it's Roland Heights and Diamond Bar. So Roland Heights is kind of where I went to. Elementary school and then Diamond Bar was where I went to middle school and high school. So I, you know, am an Im- immigrant, you know, technically like.
0: Yeah, you're 1.5 gem.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was born in Hong Kong, but I came here when I was three years old. So my family did have to go through the process of being naturalized. But on the other hand, yeah, like America is all I know in terms of experience. But it was a very unique experience, too. So, you know, Roland Heights and Diamond Bar and just, like, the general San Gabriel Valley, you know, when when you think of, like, Chinatown, like, you usually think of a very, like, urban, you know, very close together. Mm. The reason why that community springs up is to sort of provide this safety net for people coming to the country and, like, provide really close-knit services you know hey like i need a lawyer and but i don't speak english you know and you know you're able to find those resources easily it's kind of how that was growing up you know rolling heights and Dunbar, but like in a suburban environment mm-hmm. and it was like a very unique thing and so you know i know a lot of asian americans experience where they tell stories of how you know maybe they felt very isolated and they were like the only Asian or one of, like, 20, you know, Asians in their school, that's definitely not my experience. Uh, It was fair. For me, I was almost in this bubble where being Asian American was almost the norm. And, you know, I never never felt othered in quite the same way. Hmm. A lot of my friends were Chinese American, Korean American. Some of them were born here. Some of them, you know, came more recently. A lot of Hispanic American, too and you know just very used to it was almost like i think a lot about your default assumptions about life
0: what were some of your default assumptions about life growing up in a predominantly asian neighborhood
2: well for one i think when you enter a house you have to take off your shoes i think is one <laughs> and you know there there's a lot of like well i almost always it's a bilingual household. And sometimes it's a language I do understand. Sometimes it's a language I don't. Even if my friends were born here, usually the parents, like nine times out of 10, came from another country and they have that story. And so, you know, the idea of either having to learn another language or, or trying to maintain a language that uh, you knew from growing up was not a foreign concept to me.
0: And then for undergrad, you also went to University of Pennsylvania, right? Yes. What was that change like for you in terms of moving away from that predominantly Asian community? Mm -hmm. What is the environment like at UPenn? So my brother went there in 2008. But he and I have never had a conversation about what the environment was, and I thought I'll ask both of you, what was it like?
2: It was technically still a bubble. If you look at like the undergraduate population that is, I'll just specifically talk about Asian, it's more than, say, the national average. And there's a good number of, not just Asian American, but they also bring in a lot of international students, probably because they pay full tuition rates. right? But, um, you know, it wasn't difficult to find other people who were like myself, find clubs. In that sense, it wasn't as much of a culture shock to me. But I think one of the big differences for me growing up, you know, didn't grow up with a lot of at least, you know, close friends or, or in my network, not a lot of Jewish Americans. <laughs> and, you know, that was something I was exposed a lot more to and just like more cultures. So it wasn't necessarily that I felt like a minority as much, but it was more so that I was, you know, exposed to a lot more different people from me.
1: I mean, pen is kind of what you want to make of it because it's so large. Like if you wanna have your own little like self-segregated group of people who are just like you, you can absolutely find that. But if you wanna branch out, there are, you know, so many different opportunities for that. And I think for me, I kind of tended to gravitate towards people who were different than me. I mean, when I came in, I was kind of assigned random roommates. And so three out of my four roommates over the course of my undergrad were Chinese. So that was my first time living with somebody from a different culture. And, you know, some of them were more Americanized, some of them were more recent immigrants. So even within that, there was a lot of variation. And then the wider floor that I lived on in my dorm, for whatever reason, just became a hub for where international students were placed. And so I had friends from Egypt, Jordan, Belgium, Korea, Japan, like it was just kind of people from everywhere. And so I don't know if that was typical of most people's experience at Penn, but my experience was definitely a melting pot and having this opportunity to experience a lot of other cultures.
0: How did you meet?
1: So we technically... Didn't meet in college. Lionel was in his senior year. I had just graduated, but we had a mutual friend, my previous roommate, actually. She technically invited us for a dinner party, but after the dinner party, one of the local bars was having a Jersey Shore party. I don't know if you remember Ah. that show from MTV.
2: (laughs) It's an Italian American cultural tradition, you know, where you dress up like characters from the Jersey
1: Shore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what did you guys dress up like? I don't know if I was a
1: specific character. (laughs) It's just kind of, um, you know, wearing very, like, obnoxious clothes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, dressing all up like Guido's and popping our collars a little bit, you know?
0: (laughs) So you guys met there? Yeah. Yes.
2: So we met at that party, and then, you know, later on, we started dating. So our first date was, like, a couple weeks after Valentine's Day. We went to, like, an Italian restaurant in the city And I remember, like, I was so nervous, and we were taking the trolley into the city, and uh, I was just so nervous, and I was just trying to make conversation with her, and then I wasn't really paying attention to where we were going, and it turns out we were going in the wrong direction. (laughs) And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, but... The rest of the night went well. We made it to the restaurant and uh, we still go back to that restaurant sometimes to, you know, celebrate our first date.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much my memory too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When you guys first started dating, were you aware of your interracial status? Did you have conversations about that at all?
1: I mean, I think we were aware of it. I don't know if it really came up at the time. I mean, it's never been something that I've wanted to limit myself to like dating people from my own background. So I think I was just like, you yeah, know, here's this guy. He's handsome and he's funny and he seems nice. So let's just kind of see where this goes.
2: Didn't you say that I saved you from having to go on J Date or something? <laughs> no. I would not have used it. Am J-date I making that no
1: <laughs> Maybe match.com, but not JD. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Yeah. We started dating right around when the apps started coming out.
0: This was 2010, 11.
2: Yeah, 2010. Yeah, 10. So I don't know how it is now, but, you know, I think the way we met, we, you know, kind of were looking at each other just as individuals for the most part you know, and not filtering in advance for, you know, I'm looking for someone from a particular culture, from a particular religion or anything like that. You know, especially for the first few months, you know, we were sort of treating it that way. And I think slowly the multiracial aspect kind of came later, especially as I think it's when we started visiting like each other's families, that that is the point at which, you know, we started to notice more and more of the differences.
0: So talk to me a little bit about that. When you started visiting each other's families, how was that experience like?
1: I mean, I remember definitely having conversations with my parents before I even introduced Lionel to them, when I kind of knew that it was becoming serious. To be honest, they weren't super on board with it at first. And I think it's more about sort of the religious aspect, that there was definitely, I think, an ethnic aspect to it as well, just because they had both grown up in very homogenous backgrounds where everyone was similar to them. And it was just kind of assumed that, you know, you grow up Jewish, you marry another Jewish person, you continue the tradition. And that's the way it is. Right. I think they knew that it was a possibility, um, especially once they sent my brother and I to public school. But I think they were kind of hoping that, you know, since there was a large Jewish population anyway, and since we had been raised in the religion that we would just kind of gravitate toward it. I think it was more so about being worried about losing that tradition going forward and what comes from that. But, you know, once they actually got to meet him and got to know him, now they think he's like another son. So, they definitely warmed up to it, but it it wasn't easy at first.
0: How about you, Lionel? Because there are a lot of interracial couples in your family, right? Yeah. I assume for your family, this was not something new or something that they had not heard of. But what was the first reaction like?
2: Kind of how it went was, you know, when we were first dating, you know, it was just general, like, excitement, like, oh, you're, you know, dating someone. And there wasn't, you know, significant pushback at first. You know, my family in particular is Catholic. And so faith definitely like plays a role. What happened was I had sort of fallen out of the faith a little bit, you know, I had to have that conversation with my mom well before, you know, Elana and I started dating. And so I think that actually kind of helped in advance because otherwise I think that conversation would have been a lot more difficult. But I think it's it's really when the bigger decisions started having to be made that you start having these kind of rubber meets the road conversations. So when we finally got engaged, I think my mom was still kind of holding out hope that it's like, oh, well, are you going to have like a wedding in a church? And then I'm like, "Uh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) Um, You know, just those kinds of things. And like, I don't think there was like a strong pushback, but there's also always kind of like, you know, holding out hope that like, all right, like maybe like some of the Cultural traditions that are important to me, like, and I'm talking about like my mom, my brother, would continue to be passed on. And, you know, for me, like when we got married, there were a lot of cultural traditions that we continued that didn't necessarily have a religious connotation to it. There are a lot of like Filipino traditions that we incorporated into our wedding. But, you know, the very strictly religious stuff, you know. It's not something that made it in, and so like that—that's kind of where it came in, where there's some, uh, you know, a little bit of friction.
1: Hmm.
0: What about you, lana
1: I mean, I think my parents just kind of accepted it at some point once they knew that it was serious. I think talking to my grandparents about it was probably one of the harder parts for me. Um, my grandfather, who has since passed away. He was extremely religious and Judaism kind of colored every aspect of his life. And I think for myself and a lot of my cousins and brother and everything, we always sort of had a little bit of a strained relationship with him anyway, just because we were never as devout as he wanted us to be. And so I think some of my cousins have since also ended up with partners who are not Jewish, but I was kind of the first one to really be serious about it. And I remember kind of sitting down with him and talking through, you know, this is what's happening. I think you should give him a chance. I think, you know, you'll get used to it. He was just kind of like, well, you know, is, is he going to convert? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to ask him to do that. And he wouldn't ask me to convert to Catholicism. That's just not something that's on the table. And then I think he, again, eventually came to get used to it. But I think for him particularly, because he had been born in Austria and had to flee the country when the Nazis invaded for him, I think it hit a little more strongly because, you know, he kind of came at it from the perspective of like, why did we go through all this and have to survive all of these things? And then, you know, the descendants are just gonna get rid of the religion anyway. And like, I I understood that from him. And it's something that, you know, I I sympathize with a lot. So it's just kind of trying to have conversations with him to sort of find a way to meet in the middle where, you know, trying to explain to him that just because my partner is not Jewish doesn't mean that I'm not going to carry on a lot of the traditions and just because I'm not religious in the ways that you would want me to be, it doesn't mean that I'm completely disconnected from it. And so I think we eventually came to a point where there is a level of acceptance, but it was a process to get there.
0: You know, it's so interesting to hear both of you talk about these things, because First, it fascinates me that both of you are so mindful and respectful of where your families are coming from. So it's not like, oh my gosh, you know, we don't care what they think. So that's something that really makes me happy, being an immigrant mom. Also just striking that balance, right? So basically accepting what you bring as traditions from your families, but then also creating this new life for the both of you, which may not be the same may not mirror what your parents had or what Lionel's parents had, but you've created this beautiful space. And I wonder beyond mutual respect and beyond love and beyond communication, what are some of the tools that really helped both of you nurture your relationship over the years?
1: I mean, I think friendship is probably one of the biggest things is you know yeah. we love to hang out with each other regardless so i think even if we weren't in a romantic relationship he's just a person that i enjoy spending time with so i think that plays a huge part and just having you know the same kind of values and outlook on life and having similar interests similar senses of humor like considering we were born on opposite sides of the planet it's kind of interesting like how similar we are as people and so i think Just, you know, having that actual foundation of, you know, things in common and enjoying spending time with each other, I think goes a long way.
2: We didn't drive each other crazy during lockdown. (laughs) So I think that's a good test (laughs) that we're really friends.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know what, I'm just thinking that at least in societies like ours, it seems like odds are stacked against interracial couples, right? Because there's so much else that's going on, politics, the cultural, the historical baggage that comes with our identities. And as a parent of two teenage girls, as an immigrant mom, I do think of all of those things, right? And I consider myself a progressive and I'm sure I'll be happy whoever my kids marry. But at the end of the day, I do have fears and reservations and there's this whole notion of what I can preserve through culture and religion and what I can pass on. What do you think reconciliation looks like in those circumstances? And what are we missing as a society? Why aren't we still moving on from this idea of self-preservation?
2: Yeah, sure. So to continue a little bit on what Alana was talking about and how we're kind of similar in personalities. For both of us, I think there's an aspect of flexibility. And we have points of view and we have values, but like also we're not ideological about it. Mm. And I think that's where it's like your point of view can be a starting point, but it's not an ending point. And I think that definitely helps. And so, you know, we'll have these conversations like just during dinner. And like, there are some of my favorite conversations. You know, we just can't stop talking and the time is flying. It could get very political, it could get very philosophical. You know, we'll just talk about our, you know, opinions on things. So we were celebrating the anniversary of our first date. Hmm. This was February 2020, literally a few weeks before lockdown. And we were in a restaurant and something was happening uh, locally in Philadelphia. They were talking about a safe injection site, you know, for like harm reduction for drug use. Mm. We were talking the entire night, almost like yelling at each other, but it wasn't like a malicious thing. But like, we were just kind of like talking about like, you know, pros and cons and everything. And at the end of the dinner, we were just like, the waitress must think we are like a crazy couple that just like hates each other. And we are just laughing at the end of it.
0: Eli <laughs> and Lionel, I want to talk about your podcast, right? That's how we connected, Culture Jumpers. Why did you decide to started whose idea was it
1: so i think it kind of started out more as like a personal project for both of us we first started kind of kicking the idea around during lockdown in 2020 and lionel was having some conversations with his mom and his family sort of about their immigration story and their family history and so he just kind of wanted to document some of that and then watching him having those conversations I decided it would be a good time to also document my grandfather's story and everything that he went through coming from Vienna to the States, because it was, you know, something that I'd sort of heard bits and pieces about growing up, but I'd never truly heard the whole story. And, you know, he was getting up there, he was in his 90s, he was in a nursing home, COVID was everywhere. And so I knew I may not have that much of an opportunity to hear that story much longer. So why not document it? And so we both kind of worked on these sort of one-off projects and then just kind of really enjoyed it. And then we started talking about what aspects of it we had fun with and were interesting and just kind of came up with this idea of, you know, just reaching out to people and wanting to hear their stories about cross-cultural experiences, interesting encounters that they'd had that were sort of different from the normal things that you kind of hear in media. And it just became just kind of this attempt to kind of create human connection and understanding and kind of, you know, like just having that curiosity about other people's cultures and experiences and kind of using that as a way to break through what you're talking about of you know, that sort of American idea of, you know, everybody kind of walls off into their own corners and doesn't really engage with Other things. We just thought, you know, if you could just have that like individual story as a way into that experience, then maybe people would be more willing to expand outside their comfort zones, explore different things, be a little bit less judgmental about, you know, things that they don't immediately understand.
0: What do you see your podcast evolve into, or what kind of conversations are you hoping to have on this platform in the future?
2: At first, it was. Inspired by the immigrant experience, right? You know, when you've lived in something so long that you no longer notice some things, but yeah. an outsider can notice those things. And that's what we tried to do with some of this, you know, first season, which is find stories of people who discovered things as they had to, you know, move into a new culture. And what I'm hoping we can do with the podcast is to find all sorts of examples of that, even outside of the context of just immigrants and minorities. Mm. And like I feel like there's just a lot of examples. And I guess the grandest aspiration is instill that culture of learning. If I can see an example of somebody who looks like myself or who had a similar experience learning something new, then maybe I might be more open to also learning something new myself. Because it seems like whenever you're trying to get somebody to change their opinion on something, or, you know, there's like some new trend, the first thing you hear is like, well, that's not how it was when I was growing up. Right. You know, it kind of makes me think like, okay, well, at what point did you stop growing up? Mm -hmm. You know, when when you're a kid and you're growing up, you're taking in all this new information. And incorporating that into your understanding of the world, Mm. you know, okay, like I've experienced something new. That's like, now I'm adjusting my understanding of what is truth. Mm. Does that process magically stop when you turn 18? Mm. Or should it be, you know, continuing? Maybe it's worth continuing to learn and take in new information, Mm. even when I'm 35, 45, 55. Hmm. I think the hope is providing examples of other people who are going through that experience might be helpful.
0: Talking about experiences, for instance, episode four of Culture Jumpers explores this human desire of belonging Hmm. or integration by talking to a white couple who decide to go to Indonesia for community work, right? But I wonder if you also want to explore the notion of privilege and accountability when it comes to what the power dynamics are for different racial and ethnic groups. So a white couple moving to Indonesia, what are their experiences? How do they use their privilege? How are they in a way blindsided by what's happening on the ground? And how do they integrate without this notion of saviorism, right? Mm. Moving from one culture to another There are so many different dimensions of privilege and power. If you're telling a story, then you have to investigate those as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we talk about a lot. And I know, like, our first two episodes and episode four kind of center more of the white perspective of going into a non white culture. And we were definitely mindful of that. And so I think we're trying to accomplish two different things here that I think can kind of work simultaneously. I think for sort of a white audience we're trying to provide a way into other cultures of like, here's this white person who's had this experience. Maybe there's something that you can identify with. Maybe it sparks a curiosity to go out and learn more about that thing. And that becomes sort of a way for those listeners to kind of become more curious and appreciative of those cultures. But then also we definitely have some episodes in the works and want to focus more on centering more of the people of color perspective and the people from the, you know, the non-dominant culture and seeing what their experience is. And for episode four, I mean, yeah, we definitely had that thing in the back of our minds of, is this just kind of telling the story of white saviorism? And, you know, do we want to delve into that at all? But I think what became clear in talking to the couple during the interview was that, you know, yes, they had white privilege going in and there was definitely that power dynamic. But I think they went into it kind of looking to experience that disempowerment and having to deal with not being in the dominant culture, even though, you know, they still, to an extent, have that white privilege going in. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Yeah. But I think they were very cognizant of that. And I think their intention was not to further that white savior idea. I think they were genuinely trying to go in and, you know, absorb the culture and defer to the leaders in the neighborhood. And I think you'd have to talk to them about, you know, whether they achieve that. But I think we definitely went into it looking for more of that, like, just that human experience perspective of taking the politics and all of those other dynamics out of it. Just, you know, what is that personal experience like for them?
2: Mm. You know, I think when it comes to telling a story about that power dynamic, the question is, which perspective should you tell in that story? You know, I think we want to, you know, find that perspective that really works in portraying the power dynamic. And we're hoping that, you know, some of our upcoming episodes do show that. Hmm
0: really looking forward to your upcoming episodes and what you're hoping to achieve and explore through it. But before we wrap up, I have an interesting question. What is your favorite thing to do as a couple? Like, is there anything specific, special that you like to do other than going to that Italian restaurant?
1: I feel like one of our favorite things is just finding new culinary ways of combining our cultures together.
0: I like that.
1: Actually, to go back to your point about the no pork thing, we actually, we make this dish that we jokingly call the blasphemer soup. So it's, um there's this Filipino soup called sinagang and it's like a pork broth and it's got like pieces of pork meat in it. And um we decided to add matzo balls to it and kind of make <laughs> it like a variation on chicken noodle soup. So that's uh one of the things that we've come up with. I
0: like that.
2: Yeah, we're big foodies. And so sometimes like, ever since the pandemic and lockdown started like it's been a lot more in the home so we will try to make some stuff ourselves combine something that's both traditionally jewish as well as you know either something chinese or filipino you know and just see if it works out uh, and if we can create something new that's really fun but you know especially now that things are opening up you know we love just going out to new restaurants around the city and you know that's one of the great advantages of being in the city of Philadelphia is that there's so much within walking distance. You can have Indonesian food one day, Mexican the other day, and like all these, you know, different cultures without having to go too far. And, you know, and, and we'll be like on Wikipedia, like looking up like, oh, like what's the origin of like this dish or, or something like that. Oh. Uh. That mutual curiosity, you know, sometimes of even of cultures that are not our own, is fun to us. And, you know, we approach it from the perspective of learning because, again, I think it brings something that, you know, takes us out of our biases and our default way of thinking.
0: So, in the end, if you were to define America in a word or a sentence, how would you guys do that?
1: We knew you were going to ask this. this <laughs> <a good> answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, a word that I keep coming back to is contradictory. Mm. Because I think America, you know, there's this mythological aspiration to a lot of things, but, you know, what we actually end up living up to, I think, falls short a lot. And I think. There's this constant conflict between what we want to be and what we actually end up being. And this kind of search for identity is sort of a nation of immigrants of, you know, how much of the old world do we hold on to and how much do we assimilate? It feels like you're being pulled in a lot of different directions at once. So I, I feel like contradictory is a word.
0: I like that. Lionel, what about you?
2: I was trying to think of an analogy, and I think the best thing I can come up with is... Uh, you know when you go to a store and you buy like the there's like fancy peanut butter? <laughs> you know, the oil separates from like the peanut butter and you kind of have to stir it, uh, you know, before you eat it. I feel like that's what America is, is that it keeps wanting to separate. Mm. But it's really at its best when you mix it all together.
0: I like that.
2: But it's a constant effort to keep it mixed together. Mm. And so I think that's maybe like the most balanced analogy I can make (laughs) is that America is the fancy jars of peanut butter.
0: (laughs) I really like that. And America could be like a marriage. It just (laughs) requires constant work. This was so good. I assume we can find culture jumpers on all different streaming platforms, right? Yes. Do you have any social media presence
1: that you want to share with our listeners? We are on Instagram, we are on YouTube, we are on TikTok, we are on all the things. Please
2: watch our TikTok. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, our our handle is pretty much Culture Jumpers on everything. So
0: Wonderful. This was so good, guys. And We are really looking forward to more episodes from you and just, you know, having those messy, honest and difficult conversations and fun too. Thank you. (laughs) Well,
1: thanks so much for having us. This is really fun.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: So how did you like the episode? It was good, right? I mean, relationships, marriage, whatever you call it, it's messy, it's complicated, it has its ebbs and flows, and as long as you're willing to work on it, everything will be just fine. So, if you like this episode, rate it, give us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and please consider subscribing to our Patreon And here's the thing, if anyone subscribes to Patreon after listening to our episode today, and if you let us know that you've subscribed for at least five months, we will enter you to win a Starbucks gift card. Yep. So let me know if you subscribe. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Yudi Lu, and me, our editorial review was done by Shea Yu. Our amazing editor is Hazek Ahmed Farid. Until next time, take care.